welcome to Because CONCACAF, the podcast where we break down all the action and all the craziness from the Confederation of North and Central American and Caribbean Associations of Football, and sometimes the rest of the world too. In person with Don Palumbo for the first time in this podcast history, I'm Andy Lohman, and tonight we're going to break down the latest international window. The United States men's national team played a pair of friendlies, first beating Uzbekistan 3-0 with goals from Tim Weah, Ricardo Pepe, and Christian Pulisic. Then cruising past Oman 4-0 with goals from Florin Balogun, Brendan Aronson, Pepe again, and the always dangerous own goal. <laughs> Maybe not the highest profile window, but what are your thoughts on these two matches? Well, it's great to be be here yeah. in Richmond. Uh, to, to those listening, I made the trek up to Richmond for the weekend so Andy and I could get involved in some shenanigans. And for the first time, through some trial and error, we... We have figured out, I think, how to record this properly in person with one mic, 17 computers, and uh, and some countertop space. But um, we, I think we talked at length about this window for the U.S. off off the pod over the last couple of days. And um, I would I think the big thing for me is as long as uh, Triple G, Greg Berhalter, found some something that maybe he didn't know he had before uh, the fact that we didn't have any major injuries or anything this window I think is also massive um, like I said a week or so ago when we last spoke um, the score lines to me were somewhat irrelevant I think at the end of the day as long as we didn't have any injuries and Greg saw something that we could use moving forward in the next couple windows I think was going to be the biggest positives so I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I was fine with this window. I don't know if we learned a ton. To me, this was a window of just it is what it is. Yeah, we talked about it last time, just like the scheduling portion of it. We were never going to be able to get high profile opponents because you know South America is World Cup qualifying. European teams are in qualifiers for Euros. African teams are qualifying for Cup of Nations. So it's really just Asian teams that were available. Um, this normally would have been a window where we played Nations League and Concacaf. So again, those aren't. Always the uh, most high-profile, sexy opponents. So, like last year, I think it was Grenada and El Salvador is who we were playing. But sometimes, you know, just playing on the road in those hostile environments like gives you a little bit more than a, a cushy home-friendly. I also think just playing for something is just yeah. better than playing. Because to me, I don't know how you can look at these two matches and say that this level of opponent is any different than what we would have played in Nations League, especially kind of in that middle tier of CONCACAF. Like, how is Uzbekistan at home that much different than Honduras at home? Yeah, it's, it's probably not. To me, I don't like, think it is. Like, Oman was, I thought, much. I thought Uzbekistan at least, like, put in a pretty good shift. I mean, it was 3-0 was the final, but it was 1-0 for a long time. Yeah. We got two kind of garbage And they, they drew Mexico. Drew Mexico, 3-3. So... I do think Uzbekistan at least was like a little bit of a test. They're playing in a low block. They had like a five-man back line that provided some challenge. Oman was not good. Not did not really. Their keeper had a shocker. He, <laughs> I love the the US Men's National Team Twitter account called Brendan Aronson's free kick goal a stunner. No, no, it no. Just went like yeah, the through st- the wall and then like through the. The stunner stuff. was that it went in. I mean, I was oh. stunned that it went in. One of, I mean, I, I love seeing the U.S. score, but that was probably one of like the most lackluster goals we've had in a while. Yeah, and I was looking down when it happened, and when it went in, I went, "Oh, that's cool." And then I saw the replay, and I went, "Ooh, <laughs> yeah, yeah." So for me, for me overall, I mean, it's I would have liked to. I, I'm not taking away a ton, 
either good or bad away from this. Um, it would have been nice to blow out both games. I said last time I would have loved to win both 5 nothing. Still get multi-goal wins. So, I mean, I think that's solid. There were times where, especially against Uzbekistan, we didn't look amazing, but I thought we looked good enough. You know, we created some chances. Um, definitely dominated possession. Neither team, neither opponent looked threatening whatsoever. Uzbekistan did have a couple chances, but they were mostly off of just like bad one-off giveaways that you would hope you'll snuff out in an actual game. Yeah. Oman had absolutely nothing. And yeah. Uzbekistan, at least in terms of like creating from their own run of play, their own style of play, had absolutely nothing either. Uh, Matt Turner did well um, a couple times. He had to come out like off his line of like a breakaway and close it down and did really well there. Um, I don't know if I got a ton from the debuts that we got. Uh, Christopher Lund, I thought was fine. Fine. Kramaski was fine. Kevin Paredes, the, the own goal against Oman, that was mostly him. I mean, he came down the, the wing and put in a good cross and it bounced off an Omani defender. So that's good to see. I mean, he's super young. Got a big ceiling ahead of him um, playing in Wolfsburg. But yeah, I don't know. I, well, I think maybe the thing I took away the most, I really enjoyed Weston McKinney this window. I thought he was really good. A lot of times in this team, he plays as, you know, kind of your number eight box-to-box guy. Without Gio Reyna, he was almost kind of our pseudo number 10. Yeah. Always kind of in the creative role. Yeah. I thought he did really well there. Um, The first goal against Uzbekistan, Pulisic played a ball into the box that was not the best. And he brought it down in like a crazy acrobatic, nice. like one-touch finish, then pirouetted around like seven Uzbekistan defenders and then played it out wide to Wea. And then just like throughout, I mean, he was playing, you know, great balls that were breaking lines, um, getting guys into good positions. I, I thought he was really, really good and showed a lot. I also think one, a couple, a couple things that, I don't want to necessarily say fans can forget because I do remember in the infancy of my own fandom. So 2010, 2011, when you were very much of the mind of like, yeah, I'll pay attention to friendlies, but I'm not going to give them too, too much of my energy. And I would like be tooth and nail, like, oh, we played like crap against insert mediocre team here. (laughs) And I think one thing I want to stress is like whatever we saw in this window, like will not be able to be carried over into mm. October. So like what we saw, like the disadvantage with the international game is you like outside of maybe a tournament setting, you what you see in one match, you can't necessarily like say, oh, that's going to happen in the next match because most of the time matches are months apart. Um, and then another thing too, like, you can tell me all you want that like scheduling teams like this is a waste, but at the end of the day, I felt like I was watching matches against CONCACAF opponents. And at the end of the day, a lot of our matches or a majority of our matches are going to be against CONCACAF competition. That's just how international soccer works. All of our competitive matches outside of the world cup are going to be against CONCACAF matches. RIP to the Confederations Cup. Truly, truly RIP to the Confederations Cup. But at the so at the end of the day, to me, like maybe we didn't learn a ton about what we have, but maybe there is some use to playing that level of opponent more often than not, because that's who you're gonna see. 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just spitballing because I'm trying. I'm really trying to grasp at straws to find something from this window. Did you have any other players to you that stood out as like really good performances? I thought Balogun was good too. I think he's been. I mean, I thought the collective strikers up top were what impressed me. Uh, If you go back to World Cup qualifying through 2021 and 2022, I think the biggest question mark from the U.S. going into the last World Cup was that we weren't getting any production from our strikers. Well, dating to the Netherlands match, I mean, I think I texted you the last 12 consecutive matches with sort of our A to B-ish team. We've seen a goal from a striker, from a true number nine. We have seen a goal. Pepe scored in both Nations League matches in March. Uh, Balogun and Pepe each scored in the Nations League this summer. Ferreira and Vasquez were all over the score sheet during the Gold Cup. And now both Balogun and Pepe again found themselves on the score sheet in these two friendlies. So if anything, I think it's a really positive sign that we're seeing production from that position because we just didn't get it. It seemed like for the first maybe three years of the Greg Berhalter era. And now we're seeing it with so much regularity that it's a disappointment when it doesn't happen. I also thought the kind of the second line of attack, I thought Aronson was really energetic off the bench because he always is, mm-hmm. but you know, he had an assist on Pepe's goal in the first match and he scored the free kick in the second match. I thought he was good. I thought Malik Tillman um, offered some, some positive things. I he, agree. I agree. Yeah, I yeah. think he really solidified himself. Like he's not Gio Reyna. I think Gio Reyna is still very much the number one attacking mid, but with how injury prone he is, which is an unfortunate reality, it's nice to have, you know, a backup there that I think is really solid. And then, yeah, Pepe, Pepe honestly put in a performance that I think he's still very much our number two striker. But if he keeps it up, he's still so young. He's, what, 19, 20? Like, he could really push Balogun if Balogun's form drops off. Well, they're also, to me, I don't know how you feel about this, but Pepe and Balogun have somewhat different games. Like, And Pepe, I will say, has evolved from more of just kind of an out-and-out target man. Mm -hmm. I mean, his goal against Oman, the touch that he took, and then the turn turn, to get his body over the ball was something that I hadn't seen from him in a U.S. men's national team jersey yet. Um, but to me, their skit, what they're actually really good at is different that to me, you could almost play them on the field at the same time, tuck Balligan in behind Pepe and make Pepe kind of your out and out target, man. Now, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking of some like paradise that doesn't exist, but I mean, it could be an option at certain points in a match to me as a former Ford myself i would love nothing more than play like a 4-2-4 yeah let's just I'm, throw everyone forward get both strikers on the the field pulisic and wea and Balog. just what if we have just not like 10 strikers and winners and matt turner we'll see what happens so anyway uh we are not playing backyard soccer uh we are <laughs> analyzing actual matches that happened but um, I don't know, man. In all, I, I don't know if there's much that we learned. I'm hopeful that we can learn more in October when we're playing Germany and Ghana. Um, hopefully the crowds are better at those matches. I mean, would uh, you pay no, I would those not. prices I would to not. Uh, go see uh, Oman, and Oman on a Tuesday night? No, no. Um, but hopefully we learn more in October. Yeah, I hopefully, think we will. And hopefully, you know, once we learn who our Nations League opponent is, we'll 
I don't know, maybe have a little bit more analysis to provide of, you know, what we can expect over the next two windows, but it'd be nice if we also get some, some injured guys back. Yes. Like if we can get like a full a roster, which is probably we'll find this guy at any, yeah, at yeah. any point in the yeah. calendar. Um, Agreed. Cause we were missing, I mean, you're missing rain. I'm missing a few defenders, missing Tyler Adams. Um, mm-hmm. But, and I think again, a big part of this very weird window where you get to play teams from the other side of the world is because of the new nations league format which we're going to talk about more in depth yeah i will say i will say real quickly that uh in doing some research in the past this window probably still would have been friendlies for us in the old format because the two the way the schedule but but what i will say is it would have allowed us to maybe schedule a little bit more aggressively yeah because it's we only have two matches let's try to get germany here now let's try to get somebody else who's not qualifying in europe here now um but when you have four matches to play with then it even gives someone like germany more control of like no we'll we'll go there in october or ghana like now we're we'll see in a couple months we don't need to see an hour is if the openings are more scarce your likelihood of having you know you know likelihood of more I don't want to say more, but, you know, kind of higher quality competition coming over for friendlies is likely going to be higher. But anyway, let's talk about this new ridiculous format and what's been going down. The 2023-24 CONCACAF Nations League is officially underway with the first window of group stage matches, marking the return of one of this podcast's favorite competitions. (laughs) Of course, we're not allowed to have nice things, and the League A's group stage has felt the full effect of the, quote, Swiss system. Maybe even more than we first realized. Trinidad and Tobago is alone atop Group A with six points after a last-minute win over Curacao and a dramatic 3-2 victory at El Salvador. Panama, the Gold Cup runners-up, currently holds the other position to advance to November's quarterfinals, sitting in second with four points and a plus-three goal differential after crushing Martinique and tying Guatemala. That Guatemala team, who also beat El Salvador, is in third with four points and a plus-two goal differential. Marnique, who picked up a 1-0 win over Curaçao, is in fourth with three points, while El Salvador and Curaçao are both without a point and are staring down relegation. This format stinks. It's bad. And and the problem is, is I think we would actually be able to have a conversation about how we think the group could play out if everybody was either playing everybody or playing them twice. But instead, we're just kind of spitballing because – as we discussed off air, like in October, if the schedule basically has it that Trinidad and Tobago can lose their first match of the window and could potentially still win the group. Yep. Not, not easily, but win the group because their last match is against Curacao. So you could go into this thinking, oh, well, Trinidad and Tobago versus Guatemala, like the winner of that has the green light and the beeline to the next round. Well, you'll note Trinidad and Tobago closes with Curacao and Guatemala closes at Panama. Now, I will say if Trinidad beats Guatemala in Trinidad, then they're they're then they deserve they're, yeah. they deserve whatever comes of of this campaign like if you're gonna go in and win all four matches or whatever then you deserve to advance no matter who you're playing but the fact that they could lose and they still have the better chance of qualifying over guatemala who in my opinion i don't know about you but i feel like they had a perfect window 
in yep. September, right? Took care of business against El Salvador, easily clean swept them, and then got a result against Panama. And, and they could still finish below El Salvador because you'll note El Salvador plays Martinique twice in the next window. And if, and if El Salvador just takes care of business, they could, Guatemala could get, could be fighting for relegation. It's so I'm sorry, I'm gonna get well, off my high horse, but I'm just they've ruined a perfectly good competition. They have, and it's heartbreaking because, like, as much as you and I want to break down the soccer of it, the headline of this is man, this format is nonsense. Like, you cannot look at anything that happened on the field without thinking, okay, well, the format though, because like Guatemala yes. got absolutely screwed the way they did it, they seeded each team, you know, in, in the group one through six. And so the top two seeds play each other twice, third and fourth play each other twice, and fifth and sixth play each other twice, which means Guatemala gets absolutely screwed over because they have to play Panama twice. Panama, realistically, probably shouldn't even be in this stage. They're easily a top four team in CONCACAF, but because Costa Rica... And they may not even win the group. Right. Which would then mean they'd have to play Mexico or the U.S. Right. Instead of Canada or Costa Rica. And, like, if you're the U.S., you might end up having to play Panama, who just beat you in a Gold Cup semifinal. And granted, it would probably be our A roster instead of the B team that lost to Panama in the Gold Cup. Yeah, I mean, like, to your point, I thought, yeah, Guatemala Guatemala beat El Salvador 2-0. Huge win for them. They're often two teams that are kind of jockeying in position in kind of your power rankings, if you will, in Central America. El Salvador, two losses. They ended up firing Hugo Perez, who's the former U.S. men's national team God. player, yes. Yes. as their head coach. It sucks for them because I think I think the consensus is that he did a good job and was punching above his weight with the roster that he had and the resources they had. I believe they have, like, a normalization committee there. Like, they had crazy stuff going on with, like, their federation and corruption stuff. They, like, I believe their league didn't play for the spring because there was, like, a – stadium collapse and like a like death or something it is soccer in El Salvador is a disaster at the moment and the fact that they were playing as well as they were is a testament to Hugo Perez but the problem is that they were winless I think it was in 13 matches and just, Ew. oh yeah had it been that long I mean they eked out a lot of draws in qualifying and that's what kept them in like contention yeah, yeah. and like I think they yeah they only drew they never in, won and the Gold Cup this summer. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, they had two draws and one loss. So, tough, tough for Hugo. Um, yeah, it's and Panama, yeah, Panama and Guatemala, I think, are easily the two best teams. Maybe not easily, because Trinidad and Tobago has been balling out this window. I'll give them credit. But, like, I think push comes and stuff, those are the two best teams in this group. And one of them's not going to make it. Like, I don't know that for sure. The thinking a of the miracle. math gives me a headache, but like, Trinidad and Tobago has. And to your point, you said this, full credit to them. The The format is nonsense, but they have taken advantage of it. Big 1-0 win. They got a like a last-minute goal from 19-year-old Nathaniel James to be Curacao. That's huge. And they go on the road in San Salvador and win. To, to come back and win a 3-2 match. I don't know. The U.S. has never won in San Salvador. Yeah, like or it's, it's been a long time. It's been a long time for Trinidad. That might have been the first time they ever did that. So full credit to them. And I don't know where that came from. They have been – they put up a nothing burger in the Gold Cup. They didn't even make it to – Well, almost didn't beat the Curacao. They almost didn't beat Curacao. Like, so th- this could be – I mean, as much as El Salvador is kind of falling down, our imaginary power rankings, Trinidad and Tobago is rocketing – 
Well, and if, and if they get quote unquote lucky and play Canada or Costa Rica in the quarters, I like, like they, I don't want to say, I don't want to say easily, but like they have a chance to get themselves into a big time international tournament this summer and get a chance to play against who you would think would be the Kings or top heavy hitters in the region for the next month. And, and all they have to do to qualify for the next round is beat Guatemala at home. Yeah. A Copa America appearance for Transabago would be massive. Um, I'm pulling out my database here. I don't know that they have ever, yeah, they've never played in Copa America. And like a, lot, a lot of other teams have, like, through just, like, kind of invites and stuff. The U.S. has played in a couple of times. Like, Mexico's made two finals. I cannot wait to watch Trinidad and Tobago and Bolivia in <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> oh, God, that just warms my sicko heart thinking about that matchup. Um, I will say, the like, the if anything, the format creates a level of drama in each window that maybe it didn't have before. Yeah, but, but with like the three team groups. Yeah, but I will say the difficult thing for me is like in competitions like this, especially with Copa America qualification on the line, when you want your best representation at a tournament like that, this is nonsense. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's just nonsense with how much is on the line. Even if it's more dramatic, it feels like it's taking the legitimacy away yes. from it. And I would rather have a legitimate tournament than a dramatic one. Yes, completely agree. The so, the El Salvador Martinique double matchup is interesting because El Salvador is in dead last with zero points, negative three goal differential. If they beat Martinique twice, they avoid relegation. Safe. They yeah. avoid relegation. And Martinique probably gets sent down. Possibility for two Caribbean teams to get sent down to group. Or if Mar- or if Martinique wins both, they could be in position to potentially advance. <laughs> that would be hilarious if we get like a Costa Rica Martinique matchup in the Nations League quarterfinals with a Copa America spot on the line. I'm going to go ahead and just leave that one in cool. the abyss. Anything's possible. Things are tighter in Group B. So Jamaica is in first after a 1-0 win over Honduras and a comeback 2-2 draw against Haiti, collecting four points, a plus-one differential, and three total goals scored. I mentioned goals scored because they're tied on goal differential and points with Cuba of all teams. Cuba is in second, grinding on a scoreless draw against Haiti, then being Suriname 1-0, they're on four points, plus one, and one goal scored. Honduras followed up their loss to Jamaica with a 4-0 thrashing of Grenada, so they're in third with three points. Haiti's two draws have them in fourth with two points, while Suriname and Grenada tied each other, so they're staying in the relegation zone with a point apiece. Honduras is going to win this group. Honduras is going to win this group. They do play Cuba twice in the next window, so they could Here, quickly... Here's my prediction for the quarterfinals, is... It's going to be the U.S. and Jamaica, Mexico, Panama, and then Honduras, Canada, and Costa Rica, and Trinidad. <laughs> Which that could create some chaotic semifinals. The Mexico-Panama quarterfinal would be wild because that would be a Gold Cup final rematch. Yes. Yes. Absolutely ridiculous. It to is, me, it's truly. It's nonsense. Truly. And, and, and I only say that because... Both of Jamaica's matches in the next window are on the road. They have to go to Port-au-Prince in Haiti. I and I if they can't get a full three points at home, like not that they can't get all three points on the road at Haiti, but I just 
struggle to see it. Meanwhile, Honduras plays Cuba twice. And yeah. with the way that they absolutely pasted Grenada, I I don't see Honduras having any issues with getting six from six in the next window. I know Honduras has not been, again, yeah. been playing well. But, but I mean, the schedule, like I said, is in format. their favor. Yep. It is in their favor. Which is like the dumbest part of all of it is that I don't think anyone thinks Honduras is a team that is like super worthy of making a quarterfinal run. And like maybe they are if they get. Yeah, but right now they could beat Canada in a, yeah. in a two-legged tie. Canada sure. can't play matches because they're bankrupt. Maybe they'll just get gifted a run to the next round because Canada can't play. I feel like Canada will play, but the fact that they had zero friendlies this international window, like Mexico tied Uzbekistan, which is bad. Canada not playing at all is worse. Like, that's awful. Uh, Shout out to freaking Cuba, though. They were in League B last year, so they had to win promotion to even get to this point. They had players, as they often do, defect out of the country during the Gold Cup, and now they're in position to freaking advance if they get results against Honduras, if they get results I struggle to see, but could happen. It is possible. They are in position to do it right now. A shout out to Ryko Arozarena. If we have any baseball yes. fans who are listening to this podcast, he is the brother of Randy Arozarena. Great tweet, by the way. Who's the ALCS MVP back in 2020, then was the rookie of the year in the AL for Tampa Bay Rays the following year. Ryko also lives in Tampa and plays for the Tampa Bay Rowdies of the USL Championship. That's incredible. So shout out to Rosarena Brothers, whose first name starts with R, that play professional sports in Tampa Bay. Interestingly enough, Randy does not play for Cuba's baseball team. He plays for Mexico. Really? In the World Baseball Classic, yeah. Wow. So he, I, I don't know the full it's- story of how that Andre Blatt Came played be. basketball for the Philippines. Right. Yeah. So it, it's all arbitrary. We had several random Germans play for us in the World Cup in 2014 because of Jurgen Klinsmann. So none of this, it's all made up. The points don't matter. Um, I Yeah, but I'm just blown. Like You're probably right. Honduras is probably going to smoke them, and it's not going to be a thing. But the fact that, I mean, they probably secured not getting relegated, which I think is a victory in itself. In and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um. For Jamaica, I think Damari Gray continues to ball out. He had the one goal against them um, and not for them against Honduras. I thought he was their best player at the Gold Cup. Haiti went up 2-0 within like 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, they were. In that match, and Jamaica needed an own goal and then a penalty to tie. So, I thought, And the PK was close to stoppage time. Oh, like 86 it was, minutes. Yeah, it, was, it was late. So, I keep wanting to believe in Jamaica. Oh, they keep giving me every reason not to. And it's a shame because their players are uber talented. And then they have to go on the road at, like you said, at Haiti, this window. Haiti might be able to sneak in there at some point. And then, but then the other way, if Jamaica does take care of business, Haiti Suriname could low key be a huge one to avoid relegation. Yep. Because Haiti currently, as it stands, is only one point above the relegation zone. Yep. Suriname Mm -hmm. sneaks three points in there. Well, if Haiti gets six from six, they could potentially advance. Yeah. There's a lot of chaos, but it's still dumb. It's nonsense. I mean, this group literally top to bottom is separated only by three points um, because there's so many draws. So this is like a super. It'll be fun. Oh, it's going to be. October will be fun and we'll enjoy it. But I I just, I, I. I, mm. It's unfortunate that this is the the main takeaway of all the, is that the format's just nonsense. It is. Hopefully the next cycle will uh 
Well, well I, I hope think, America isn't involved that will just like shake out. Of well, even this. if it is, I will say um, final point before we move on to leagues B and C is I think when we're I'm hopeful that when we're not playing World Cups in November, because yeah. you can't even blame this on COVID anymore. This is like the World yeah. Cup was going to be in November anyway, and it was going to mess up the calendar anyway. Yeah, I think what we've run into is just a continuation of that not to mention like normally if you're hosting a world cup you'd have four full years to prepare these countries us mexico and canada only have three and i'm sure there were meetings with Concacaf of like hey man in our preparation like it's really not in our best interest to continue playing grenada and martinique and el salvador on a regular basis like this right whereas hopefully Heading into 2030, we can, we can, I don't know, maybe go, go back to some resemblance of what the old format was because it'll be a full four-year cycle. North America will not be hosting the thing and just simply having competitive matches because all these teams are going to have to go through qualifying again. Hopefully that will kind of get us back to a place where not only does the competition have a level of legitimacy, but there's also chaos that is welcomed and warranted along the way just thinking of like the concept of a 2030 world cup as well have they, i don't think they've announced where the 2030 world cup is have the bids been placed because mm-hmm. usually it's about seven years out that they assign it i don't believe they have i don't think they have oh well, i mean they don't even have a women's world cup host for 2027 yeah, so yeah, we probably yeah. should yeah yeah not put too many parts in front uh, of let's see the bids are for uh spain oh my god <laughs> Spain, Portugal, Ukraine, and Morocco, or... Which one of these is not like the others? Or Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, and Paraguay. It is fascinating now that, like... I'd be down for a South America World Cup. These events are so huge that you realistically, like, can't host it in one country. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, I think I think the, the South American bid... Because Uruguay hosted the inaugural World Cup in 1930, 1930. so it'd be the centennial oh. to host again, which that would be pretty cool. Okay, well, there shouldn't be a decision then. Yeah. South America all the way. Unfortunately, you and I are not voting. No, 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 we're not. We're not. League, league B continues to be the pinnacle of the Nations League competition, giving us a format that actually makes sense. In Group A, Guadalupe cruised the six points as expected, but so did St. Lucia, who actually sit in first place with a better goal differential after a 5-1 to thrashing of St. Martin. Group B has been pretty straightforward with Nicaragua in first place and Barbados facing relegation. St. Vincent and the Grenadines has been the class of Group C, sitting in first after a 2-1 win over Belize and a dramatic 4-3 win over Bermuda that featured a hat-trick from Olix Anderson, who won the 2016 MLS Cup with Seattle Sounders and the past few years has been playing in USL League One with Richmond Kickers, who... Play soccer like he's, four minutes away from here. Folks, he's wearing a kicker's jersey right now. I only felt that it was appropriate. He's currently playing for North Carolina FC, also in that league. And then in Group D, Omari Glasgow, we told you last time he was the player to watch. He's been balling for Guyana, who have six points. But the real story is Puerto Rico making their League B debut and in first place after blowout wins over the Bahamas and Antigua and Barbuda. Man. 
Puerto freaking Rico. And, and I will say some insider info. So after Puerto Rico earned promotion to League B in March, I was talking to my boy, Sebastian Cutler de Jesus, who saved some PKs during the Gold Cup prelims. Yeah. Made they almost first, made the Gold Cup. Made his first career cap in the in the second set of matches that they played when they were in League C in March. And basically what he told me is that it's not as if there's any more support for the team or that much more funding, but the funding has been allocated in ways that has allowed the program mm-hmm. to, to become a cohesive group with the same players playing in every window while also allowing them to put it in the places that matter. Right. So they're focusing on youth coaches in the country there or a territory or whatever we want to call it. I think it's technically both. Sure. Anyway, but but they're they're moving it incrementally in the right direction because I can't remember who they were playing in League B or in League C last year. But Sebi basically said, Dom, we used to get killed by those teams. So the fact that we're smoking those teams now should show you how far we've come. And he's like, I can't tell you that we're going to be making gold cups regularly, but the fact that we're in this position now is like so big for so many people down there because they've, he said that the, the culture has always been there and the fan base has been like basically thirsting for opportunities like this but you're about to tell me who they played in League C. Go ahead. So they've had an interesting Nations League history, and they have probably always been better than their standing. So in the inaugural Nations League, they were in League C. They're in a group with Guatemala, who was ah. who was only there because of sanctions. Yes. And so Guatemala won that group in four matches with a goal differential of plus 25 ah so ah the poor puerto rico got fucking blitzed by them but then they killed uh anguilla so they won two matches and then lost two so they remained in league c the last iteration they won all four matches had a plus 15 goal differential smoked the cayman islands and the british virgin islands and they went up but i say all of that to say like i think the darling of this edition of Nations League is going to be them. And I believe yeah. they play Guyana twice in the next window, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure. But I, well, I think Puerto Rico, to your point about you know allocating resources efficiently, I think that is as much griping as we have done today. That's the beautiful thing about this competition is that it's giving all these nations who otherwise, you know, you get a handful of World Cup qualifiers every four years and you try to make a Gold Cup and that's basically it. It's just so much more consistent games for so many teams, and you're starting to see, you know, teams galvanize. Well, they practice they together. Practice, and a lot of teams are attracting, like, you know, relatively high level managers, like to these positions. And you're getting, you know, dual. A lot of these countries are, you know, former colonies of United Kingdom or France or the Netherlands, well, and, and Seb- like, you're getting dual nationals and stuff. Well, and Sebi also mentioned that a couple of his teammates back in March are, you know, 17 to 18 years old, mm, yeah. and they got recruited by colleges mm-hmm. off of some of those windows That's awesome. to go play college ball. So now they're getting an education paid for through the sport. They're getting more exposure just simply because and, – and the fact – and this is why I'm really starting to love CBS now, like – 
like the fact that every single nations league match can be streamed and replayed and has highlights is such a great thing. Like it is exposure for these countries that they have never can add before, right? You're about to talk like St. Martin in league C running league C all their matches are able to be televised. So if some dude in the Silicon Valley is from St. Martin and like, had his life changed or even now in America, he can watch them play. Yeah. That's awesome. I've loved right? watching these games. Some of the locations of these stadiums Fascinating. is super cool. We should do like a, just a power ranking of. Oh yeah. Nations league. Back There's like drops. the beach over there for yeah. some of them. Like yeah. you can literally see the beach. Yeah. It's wild. And like, it's also really funny. You can tell which nations are a part of like the West Indies, like cricket team it's yes. like oh we are playing this very yes. clearly in a cricket stadium yes. shots of antigua and barbuda they and saint vincent and the grenadines yeah. is the same yeah um puerto rico currently has the best goal differential of any team in nations league at plus 10 after two matches Love that's that. crazy my other league b note for you saint lucia's dominic polion uh scored a hat trick for them in that saint martin match Former Chelsea Academy player. He now plays for Ebbsfleet Town. Sure. Last year, he was the National League South player of the season. As Ebbsfleet Town won promotion, they won the league to go up to the fifth tier of the Okay, English I was going to ask, is that the sixth or the seventh So tier? National League South is the sixth tier of English soccer. They are now in the National League, which is like, like if Wrexham was in the National League trying to get into... Yes, League two. 2, so now they're at that level. So shout out to Dominic Pouillon. So damn near fully professional. Yeah, Love that. All right, let's talk about League C. League C so you mentioned the St. Martin in Group A is the story of League C with wins over Bonaire and Anguilla. Alex Raga is the competition's leading scorer with five goals. Um, they also got a goal from Arsenal legend Alexander Lacazette's cousin, Rumald. Uh, St. Martin is the only country that doesn't have in this competition that doesn't have like their own flag, like like Martinique, um, Guadeloupe. They're technically part of France, and like Concacaf uses the French flag for them, but they do have their own flags, which we we use in all of our tweets and stuff. Big big flag podcast. Yes, St. Martin doesn't. They're just straight up. We are just part of France. Um, so I guess that's how they got Romal of Lacazette. Literally any kind of positive result in their next two matches, tie or just one of the other teams tying they're in league B for the first time ever in the next iteration. So that's pretty cool to see. Aruba leads group B after a two, one win over the Cayman islands. Cayman islands also tied the U S Virgin islands in group C Dominica and the British Virgin islands. They both beat. Um, I definitely screwed up this. Oh, someone beat Turks and Caicos in there. Some of these, these countries, some of like league C is tough. Andy, it's okay. Because we'll, you we'll get, make it. it's okay. You've got a database somewhere. They're all the freaking. You've got blue Wikipedia field. Folder. Yep. Uh, but anyways, Dominica, British Virgin Virgin Islands. They both beat Cayman Islands. Um, that was British Virgin Islands' first ever win in this competition. So did a uh, did Aruba beat Turks Aruba, and Caicos? Aruba beat Turks and Caicos. Lovely. That's that's and are still leading Group B. That is true. Good. Correct. Yes, that is correct. Well, that's all we need to know. Um. Any other thoughts on League C? I mean, it's chaos. It's funny. It's you're gonna get some names. I'm assuming uh, 
Axel Raga will will conclude the competition as its leading scorer with like oh, eight so. or nine goals. It was Gerwin Lake last year mm-hmm. for St. Martin. Well, because they also separate the finals from this. Like it's they almost say it's a separate competition. I think so, but even still, I think because Lake had eight goals last year. Unbelievable. Which is wild. And it was a huge part of them um advancing. Yeah, not much. I was okay, I screwed it up. Beautiful. Let it us was know. so Aruba beat Cayman Islands. Um, and Cayman Islands side of the U.S. Virgin Islands. Aruba's top of Group B in Group C, Dominica and British Virgin Islands. They both beat Turks and Caicos. Lovely. So British Virgin Islands First Nations League win was against Turks and Caicos. Brilliant. I apologize for the uh, sloppiness there. Should we go? We have named this segment now instead of some other shit that's going on. We're going with Round Robin. Sounds we take great. a look at just all the other chaos that's happening across the globe, of which there was a lot. In the Oceania Men's Olympic Qualifying Final, New Zealand won 9-0 over Fiji. They booked their fourth Olympic appearance. They were previously quarterfinalists in Tokyo. Less than 12 months after we played a World Cup, we are already qualifying for the next one. Conway Bowl, the South American Confederation, got their campaign underway. Brazil and Argentina... Expectedly are off to hot starts with six points each. The new Inter-Miami signing, you may have heard of him, uh, Lino Messi, scored a banner of a free kick and a 1-0 win over Ecuador. Colombia has four points, while Uruguay and Venezuela each have three. The top six um, in South America will qualify directly for the World Cup. So all of those teams are in that position. And it's also rounded out by Paraguay, who has one point. Peru, with their one point, is in the seventh position, which would get them into the Inter-Confederation playoffs. Interestingly enough, Ecuador did pick up a win over Uruguay in this uh, match day, but they started off with a three-point penalty for falsifying birth documents in the last cycle. So they are now what the fuck? They are now at zero points after their win. Good stuff, Ecuador. Uh, What? (laughs) Yep, that's a real thing. They're at negative three. When, when Messi scored that free kick against them, that cemented them still at negative three points. And now they beat Uruguay. They're at zero. And they're at they're in eighth, I believe. No, they're in ninth place. Oh, that is incredible. It's, it's still very early days. All these teams have 16 more matches to play. But exciting just to think about World Cups. And the women's side, the North Carolina Courage won the NWSL Challenge Cup final 2-0 over Racing Louisville. It's their second Challenge Cup trophy, a record in that competition's four-year history. On the men's club side, there were a handful of MLS matches during the international break, including a 3-2 win for Inter-Miami over Sporting Kansas City that has Inter-Miami just six points out of playoff position with eight matches to play. Uh, And north of the border in the Canadian Premier League, Calvary FC, located in Alberta, they were the first team to book their place in the Canadian Premier League playoffs. They sit atop the table with 43 points. Brilliant. A reminder that the uh, the winner of the Canadian Premier League regular season gets a berth into the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Also, just the playoff champion also gets a berth into the Champions Cup. So I do plan on becoming super invested in the Canadian Premier League more than I ever was before. Well, the Canadian Cup I always thought was awesome to begin with. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I literally remember sending you a video when uh Toronto FC actually won the treble. The treble, yeah. And it, I want to say they're the only team to have ever won 
a treble in North yes. American soccer. Yes, uh, Seattle's come close. Yeah, one year they won U.S. Open Cup in the Supporters Shield, and then lost to LA Galaxy in the playoffs. I think that was 2012, 2013 when they had Clint Dempsey. To my knowledge, but either way, and my, either my way, my that, Wikipedia googling is that the uh, that video though they won the, the drum. Oh, sick! Incredible. Incredible. I'm not gonna find any time. Um, I, yeah, I, Toronto I, FC is the only one to do to have a treble. A handful have done the double. DC United in '97 and '99, Kansas City Wizards in 2000, LA Galaxy in '02. It's but it's, in 08. it is so difficult. Like what? Even what LAFC did last year, winning the, the supporter field and MLS Cup, that's difficult in itself. Yeah, and they couldn't even win U.S. Open Cup. Like it is so hard to put your energy into all of those places. Oh yeah, especially with kind of how what some of the roster restrictions are and such for the MLS. It's not like the Premier League where Man City can just pull world class players from like every every corner of of their club to win 17 trophies in a single year except the community shield they'll never win the community shield that's all i got any final thoughts soccer's the best man cool well uh moving forward we will have a couple episodes over the next couple weeks previewing and recapping the women's national team friendlies against south africa taking a look at um, some of the CONCACAF women's qualifiers for both the W Gold Cup, along with, in my opinion, a super tasty two-legged tie between Jamaica and Canada for that final Olympic berth in CONCACAF um, on the women's side. A lot of good stuff coming. That should all bump right up into the next October window when we'll actually hopefully know who the U.S. is going to play in its own Nations League ties um, and a couple, I think, super fascinating friendlies against Germany in yeah. Ghana in October. Got a U.S. Open Cup final in there as well. Absolutely. A lot to look forward to. We got plenty, plenty to talk about over the next couple of weeks. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Because CONCACAF or X or whatever we're calling it or whatever Elon's calling it. No matter where you're listening, how you may be listening, thank you for making us a part of your day. Love y'all. See ya. See ya.